Numbers chapter 16, verse 1, if you'd follow along, the Bible says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan of Byram, the sons of Eli, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses, for certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. When Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. And he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his, and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do, take your censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth chose, he shall be holy. You take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, you sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you, that God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also, for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? Go to verse 31. It came to pass as he made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swabbed them up in their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offer incense. Let's pray. Father, we come before we plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for Calvary. Thank you, Lord, for a perfect Bible. Thank you, Lord, for saving our souls, forgiving of us our sins. And Father, if there be anything between me and thee this morning, Father, I confess it as sin right now. Father, I confess it. I pray that you'd make that thing known unto me. And Father, I pray that you'd bless your people this morning. I pray that you'd feed them with your word. And Father, we thank you for it. And Father, we pray that you uh, just work in this service. Lord, do unto us as you see fit. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Many thoughts run through my mind going through this chapter. It's a difficult chapter to say the least of what's going on. I suppose eternity will only tell. And the Lord is the only one who can honestly count the number of families that have been wrecked. Homes that have had havoc wreaked upon them. And even churches that once praised the Lord with a joyful noise. Marriages that once thrived in love and with love until this reckless rebellion that we read about in Numbers chapter 16 pops up. The walls of this church and many other churches will one day speak as if from the very timbers themselves. And they'll become a masterpiece of oration. The theme of so many of these soliloquies, that's just a big famous word to what's coming out your mouth, will begin up a tale that has its roots laid deep in rebellion. 
And while 1 Samuel 15.23 still reads, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, many Christians today find themselves in the very throes of rebellion. Well, we know in this chapter the beginning is sure, and the ending is sure. But many a child of God has to be on guard for this rebellion. I'd like to preach about it this morning. I'd like to re preach about this reckless rebellion. I want to look at our text today for I see some things that would be indicators of this rut. Now before you all clam up on me like a clamshell grill in McDonald's there, I want you to understand that not all indicators indicate that you're wrong. Some of the indicators indicate that you can get out of a rut that you're in. We've been preaching about this rut. You remember Numbers chapter 15, a lot of things have gone south. Can we say it like that? They've just gone off the rails. And in the Christian life, it seems to be so easy to go off the rails at a moment's notice. So now they're in the wilderness. Of course, chapter 15, uh, uh, they're getting some instruction, right? Some real monotonous, clerical, interesting instruction. And at the end of that chapter, that fellow's gathering sticks, right? And he gets in a lot of trouble. Why? His focus was wrong. We preached about that last week, and hopefully he got a chance to correct your focus, and maybe readjust your sights this last week. But as we come into chapter 16, what you notice first off the bat is that some people are just not happy. And they're not happy because sin has a consequence. Sin, as the old preachers say, always takes you farther than you want to go. It always keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it always makes you pay more <laughs> than you're willing to pay. But there's some indicators throughout this chapter in, in number 16, and I don't know if we'll get through them all, but there's a lot here, and maybe I can just kind of put it into overdrive and cruise over some of the ones, and some of them are be like, well, that's easy, and some are not so easy. But there are some indicators, because many times Christians are in this reckless rebellion. They don't even know how they got there. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful on the roads when I'm driving for that rumble strip. Because I tend to drift. I do. And before that, just a miracle of God, I wasn't dead. But I remember once they started chopping up that rumble strip on each side, that was like, a, you could almost drive blind. Go try it, right? In Michigan, all you got to do is go for the rumble strip. And in the Christian life, many times, you find yourself in the throes of rebellion, and if you're not careful, you'll be like, how in the world did I even get here? And I believe we can find some indicators in chapter number 16. Can I just jump right into the message this morning? We won't take any more time on the introduction and say, first of all, can I tell you that this reckless rebellion, it begins, first of all, with self-exaltation. This reckless rebellion that we're seeing by Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and all the company that decides to get on board the Rebellious Express, it begins through self-exaltation. Look here in uh, verse, number, verse number 1. Bible says here uh, that now Korah, the son of Ishar, so forth and so on. At the very end of the verse, it says, took men. Now, what about these men? All right, look at verse 2. It says they've got 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. You know, I looked up that word renown. I knew it was important. You know what I mean? Like, what in the world is renown? Like, who knows and who cares, right? Like, you use that word every day. You know what the old 1828 says? Fame celebrity. I'm like, oh, these are Christian celebrities. These people are important. Well, now it makes sense because Korah, he was a 
son of Kohath. He was a Kohathite, right? We'll get to him in a minute. We preach about him in Numbers chapter 7. He's got a problem to begin with, right? But Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they're sons of Reuben. And they all get together. You wonder why they get together? Because they live next to each other. If you go back in Numbers chapter 3 and Numbers chapter 4, remember the boring parts of the book of Numbers? Yes, amen. Shake your head, yes. You've, okay, right? They live like right next door to each other. So they're the nasty neighbors. And your neighbors know what's tripping your trigger, don't they? But these guys, they have a problem, and it begins with self-exaltation. So they take men, the Bible says. And uh, these guys had some influence, and they had some power. They really did. And I notice here that they're Christian celebrities, if you allow me to uh, put it that way. But I want you to notice this self-exaltation. It leads to number two, evil associations in verse three. This self-exaltation, it leads to evil associations in verse three. The Bible says in verse three, and they gather themselves together uh, against Moses and against Aaron. Now look, there's the whole leadership of the nation of Israel. It's Moses and Aaron. Moses is the number one guy underneath the Lord, Jehovah God, and then Aaron is the priest, right? And he is underneath Moses' authority. Moses didn't call himself to that position, right? He didn't. He's like, actually, you go back and read. Why didn't he just say, go back and read Exodus? You know, I really want this job in the first place. But he's like, fine, I'll do it. And the Lord's been changing him, making him God's man, delivering God's message, and performing God's methods every step of the way. But where these guys get off and get into trouble and begin this reckless rebellion is with their self-exaltation. And when you begin to exalt yourself, it always leads to evil associations. It does. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 9, the Lord speaking Himself, He said, Associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces. You ever stop and think about the associations that you have? You ever stop and think of who you follow? Who you pal around with? I'm trying to help you this morning because many Christians are in the very throes of rebellion, like you see in Numbers chapter 16, and they got a clue. You know, the people in this country, uh, the United States of America, they're very rebellious. Very rebellious people. Can I just remind you that when you hang around people who are rebellious, it just kind of bleeds. It kind of, kind of bleeds red, white, and blue on you, amen? I mean, if you're next to a guy who's a farmer and he's always in the barnyard, eventually you're going to smell like the barnyard. But see, here's the problem. Self-exaltation started this thing. You've got to remember Korah, he's a Kohathite, and he's been, he's been angry for a long time. Remember, he's the one that's bearing all the weight. He's the one doing all the holy work. He's been doing all the hallowed work. He's been the one bearing the burden upon his shoulders, right? Carrying, carrying that ark and carrying the heavy things, and it's always covered, and he doesn't get to see any results, and nobody appreciates him, and nobody says thank you, and nobody says, I'm glad you came today and they probably misshaken his hand because he's always doing something for the Lord, you know. But then Dathan and Abiram, what's their backstory? Well, they're Reubenites. Last time I checked, Reuben was the firstborn. You know what they're doing? Old preacher says that they're asserting the right of the firstborn. If you're the firstborn, you have a little bit of credence among your brethren. You have a little bit of weight. You don't always use it, but when they start getting out of line... 
If you click your heels nine times out of ten, they'll shut up and listen to you, won't they? I said nine times out of ten. Sometimes they just run their mouth, they don't listen to you. But here you've got Dathan and Abiah, and their sons of Reuben, they're asserting the right of the firstborn. They do not like what's going on. They don't like the path they're on. They're burying people every other day, it seems now. And him, and of course, Korah and company, they take men. You've got 250 princes, famous people. I mean, they're celebrities, right? They got Joel Osteen up there with them. And he's, he's trying to raise money for this, that, and the other. They got Rick Warren trying to talk him into this thing over here. And they got Joyce Myers over. I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to see if I can get any kind of reaction out of here. But they got all these celebrities. And what happens is self exaltation, it always leads to evil associations. Can I remind you here that Adonijah in 1 Kings chapter 1, he was King David's son. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 1 that he exalted himself. And he ends up associating with Joab, the general that got booted from his job, but he then went and murdered David's nephew so he could get it back. When you self-exalt yourself, self-exaltation leads you to evil associations. Amen. Amen. Well, you've got not only Adonijah, but Abimelech. He exalts himself in Judges chapter 9. And what does he do? He ends up being so strung up and so, so in need of power and recognition that the Bible says he hires vain and light men. He hires a bunch of vain fellows. What happens? The Bible says, and they followed him. You know, you give people enough money, they'll follow you. You give people enough free stuff, some of that stuff will stick, won't it? That's what churches are doing all across the country. They're having hot dog Sunday and birthday Sunday and ice cream cake Sunday and give your left hand Sunday and give it all Sunday and do this Sunday and go to McDonald's Sunday. They figure just give enough free stuff out, some of it will stick. And look at the attendance we got coming in. You stop giving away free stuff, they're going to quit following you. You know why you come here? Because you get preaching. Sorry, there's no extra gimmick connected with it. I know this. If you're here, it's for the most part, there's always an exception, right? It's because you know you're going to get preached at. I mean, not like told a story to and tucked into bed, but you're going to get preached at. That's what's going on. But Abimelech, he exalts himself, and he ends up hiring a bunch of vain and light men. You know who also exalted himself? The devil. The devil exalted himself in Isaiah chapter 14, and he now associates with every unclean and evil spirit out there. I'm just saying it all begins with self-exaltation. You better be careful how you prop yourself up. In your Christian life, you better be careful how quick you are to get to the limelight, how quick you are to make sure that you get the recognition. You better be careful that you don't step and say, hey, you need to pay attention to me because that self-exaltation without a shadow of a doubt in our text this morning, it leads you down the path to evil associations. Next thing you know, you'll start thinking you're somebody because you're hooked up with somebody. You'll think you're somebody because... You're in conference with somebody. That's what these big churches, they're like, it's a, this so-and-so, we're part of this conference, and we're part of this association. Guess what? You know who we're associated with? We're associated with Jesus Christ. We ain't associated with nothing. But if you're a believer, you can come worship the Lord here. We ain't associated with nothing and nobody but Jesus Christ. I'm just saying self-exaltation begins the throes of rebellion. Self-exaltation leads to evil associations as you see here. You say, why is it evil? Because all these clowns, I mean uh, individuals, they get together against Moses and Aaron. They got a problem with leadership. 
Isn't it interesting in the Christian life that the fellow who is the leader has the biggest stones thrown at him? Okay, one person agreed all the rest. You're like, we'll vote on it and we'll text you the answer later. And what they do on these shows. One feller said, states it takes, you know, two months to count the votes, but yet they can get, you know, whatever, American Idol, 50 million people to text it, you know, between commercials. Y'all awake, I'm just making sure. But uh, it all begins with self-exaltation. You might be in the throes of this reckless rebellion if you're into self-exalting yourself. It leads to evil association. Can I tell you this next, number three, that these evil associations, it most undoubtedly in verses 3 and 14, it leads to false accusations. False accusations. Look at, look at the accusations of Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and the company, verse 3. You take too much upon you. Now, I'm, I'm not sure why the Scripture doesn't uh, read, and Moses interjected, that's right, you can have the rest of the responsibility. Because if you read about Moses, he's like, look, I really, you know, I'm not eloquent. And, you know, Aaron's a much better spokesperson. Really, Lord, you need to find someone else for this job. So then he finally says, fine, I'll do it. And the Lord begins to shape him and change him and draw him close in fellowship. And next, you know, now someone's like, hey, you're taking too much upon yourself. What a bunch of baloney. He was doing exactly what God told him. Not necessarily the message. Here's the point. When you find yourself self-exalting yourself, you'll begin to line up with this evil association and you'll begin to accuse individuals of things they might not even have done. In verse 3, you take too much upon yourself, not on that. Next in verse 3, the Bible says, uh, they say to Moses, Wherefore then lift up your, ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Look at verse 13. He says, Thou hast brought us up, why? To kill us in the wilderness. I don't recall reading that strategy in the early part of Exodus. And the Lord's going to bring us up and then we're going to kill them all. That wasn't the plan. Because some people had sinned and some people had done wrong. Now these jabers, I'm sorry, these bad individuals, they now are falsely accusing Moses. The man that God chose to lead them to the promised land. False accusations. Always lines up with evil associations. The interesting thing is the more I read my Bible, you read over Revelation chapter 12 verse 10, that the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of our brethren. Nowhere else do you find the job of a Christian being that to accuse another brother in the Lord. I've often wondered, and I've said this before, I wonder why so many of our brethren do the devil's work for him. Could it be self-exaltation? Could it be those evil associations? You better be careful who you hooked up with. You better be careful who you follow. You got a social media, you got all these followers. You really follow that jackrabbit, do you? You going to follow him around? You're going to follow him while he's being ungodly? You better be careful who you follow. What is that, evil associations? Are you yoked up with who you follow? You better not be. The Bible says we should be yoked up with Jesus Christ. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn to me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Those evil associations will get you. Your parents told you time and time again, you better be careful who your friends are. You better be careful who you date, because you mate who you date. 
better be careful of those evil associations. Who are you hooked up with? Are they people that love the Lord? Are they godly men and women? Trying to help you this morning, show you, maybe show you that there's the throes of rebellion beginning. Well, look at the accusation further in verse 14. He says, wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? You know what they're telling Moses? You're making everybody blind. You're telling them a lie. He sure wasn't. He was being straight with them. I'm just showing you those false accusations. You ever stop and think about those in the Bible who false accusations were made about? I think of Joseph. They made false accusations about Joseph in Genesis 39. Old Potiphar, that old hussy. She made accusations saying that he threw himself at her and tried to do things to her that you couldn't even say from the pulpit. Just lied like a dog. False accusations. They made false accusations here against Moses. They made false accusations against Elijah. Oh, that King Ahab meets uh, uh, Elijah in the wilderness. And he says, Art he that troubleth Israel? And that old preacher says, it ain't me, bud. You're the one that's troubling Israel with your idolatry. They made false accusations about him. They made false accusations about Naboth in 1 Kings chapter 21. They said Naboth was a blaspheming the Lord. And all you know what Naboth was guilty of? Not moving an inch. That old wicked King Ahab come up to him and said, I sure like, I sure like your garden. I sure like your, your land that you got there. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you sell me your land so I can build me a dope shop? I'm embellishing a little bit. He said he wanted to make it an herb garden. Well, you know, just medicinal purposes only. Man, y'all just, y'all got indigestion over that one. This state's so cotton-picking high, if the place burns down, the whole county will get a buzz. But old Ahab, he wants to buy this land, and you know what? You know what Naboth said? The Lord forbid it me. The Lord said, no, I'm not selling. I don't care if you're the king. And so he went home and potted like a good old Baptist he was and got old Jezebel, that wicked queen, and they got this feast together, set Naboth on hay, made false accusations again, and killed him and his boys. I'm just showing. They're going to make false accusations against you too if you're a Christian. The Bible says, yea, and all that will godly will suffer persecution. Well, they made false accusations against Paul. You get old, oh, what's his name, that order. Tertullus, he's a real uh, big mouth lawyer type, you know, and he gets up there and he gets up there in front of Governor Felix there, uh, not Festus off of Gunsmoke, but he was there too. But anyways, uh, he gets up there and says, uh, uh, Paul, we know uh, he's a mover of sedition. That's what the Bible says. He troubleth the nation. No, he doesn't. He's trying to bring him Jesus Christ. What was it? False accusers. False accusers. Of course, you know, the Bible says over there was at Mark chapter 14. They put false accusations against the Lord, false witnesses. But that Bible says, but none agreed with the other. Now listen, Christian, you live godly, you're going to suffer persecution, and they're going to lie about you just like they're lying about Moses. You say, why are they lying? They exalted themselves. It's not your job to exalt yourself. The Bible says if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He'll exalt you in due time. A lot of Christians, a lot of Baptists, a lot of Bible believers thinks it's always their time to exalt themselves. Hey, it's all about me. No, it's all about Him. It ain't about you. It ain't about me. It ain't about your kids. It ain't about your family. It ain't about your heritage. It ain't about your nation. It's all about Jesus Christ. And that evil association, it goes to false accusations. Can I say this number four? Self-exaltation, evil associations, and false accusations all part of this Number four, planned insurrection. I want you to see here the rebellion is uncovered. 
In verse 4, the Bible says, And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. Notice the meekness of Moses again. I don't know about this Moses guy. <laughs> Me and him, we're not alike. I'd have been dead already because I'd have been like, Come on, come on, Cora. I ain't got much in the tank, but I got a little bit in the tank. I mean, I might have a little bit of snow on the shingles, but there's still a fire in the stack. I put something on you, Ajax, won't take off, amen. But I'd have been dead. Moses here, <laughs> Moses hears the accusations against him. He uncovers the rebellion and he hits the deck. What a great way to respond to trouble. He falls right on his face. The picture of a man going before the Lord. You see that? It's all part of a planned insurrection. See, Christian, at this point in the message, you might consider that within your heart is a planned insurrection against the Lord. You might just think about it for a second. I didn't say everything fit. I didn't say that you're guilty of false accusations yet. But the day's not over yet. I mean, after all, what you get sideways with, with your wife, don't you start accusing her of things that she might not be always guilty of, but then you throw in those words that I invented always and never. And now after being married for 25 years, I always wait for the cue, right? After I've married that long, if I say that, I'm like, oh, I'm in so much trouble. And I keep trying to go because I'm a preacher. She's like, nope. <laughs> False accusations, right? You're going to get out of sorts with the Lord. You know what you're going to do? Listen now, listen now, I love you. You're going to get out of sorts with the Lord, and what's going to happen? You're going to come after me. You say, because I'm important? <laughs> to about seven people I am. But you're going to come after me because I'm the one representing the Lord. I'm the one representing the book. And the next time you open your mouth, is it truth? Or is it an accusation? I'm not getting on you. I'm just saying you might be in the throes of rebellion if you find yourself willing to exalt yourself, getting with all these people who are, quite frankly, evil associates, and then making the false accusations, all because, and number four, it's just really, in your heart, a planned insurrection. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can't even know it. Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 25 uh, that you can't even trust your own heart. Bible says he that trusts his heart is a fool. But I want you to notice this. Moses answers the accusation not by defending himself, which is a miracle in and of itself, but by defending the Lord in verse 5. Moses says nothing about himself. I've been thinking, you're a dirty dog. I want to hurt you. And Moses is like, I'm not even part of the equation. That's how much Moses thinks about the Lord. And in verse number 5, he says, The Lord will show who are His and who is holy. Moses responds not by defending himself, but by defending the Lord. Can I point out to you in this passage here in verse 8, that Moses pleads with Korah instead of provoking him. He pleads with him instead of provoking him. He says, here I pray you, you sons of Levi. When the accusations come, are you ready to take the gloves off and duke it out? Are you willing to plead with someone about the truth? Not only that, but in verse 9, I want you to see that Moses begins preaching to Korah instead of picking on him. He begins to preach him a message instead of picking on him. At this time, with Moses' great education, he's over 80 years old. He spent time in Egypt under the finest education. He could have picked Korah apart, couldn't he? 
He said, look, I know all about you, uh, you little brat. I remember what you did here, and I remember here, and you need to remember where your place is. But he begins to preach him a message instead of picking on He pleads with him instead of provoking him. I tell you what, that takes grace. That takes character, which you and I have very little of. Not only that, he preaches a message, but Moses preaches about the privilege of service. Look at verse 9. He says, The core of the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation. That's a privilege. He's reminding Korah, hey man, you work with the holy things, the hallowed things, the most holy things, and I tell you what, I'm there. It's just a real privilege, and I separated you to this service. He not only preaches about the privilege of service, but Moses then reveals to him about the preferential treatment of the service in verse 9. He says, to bring you near to himself to do the service. It wasn't just about filling a position or doing a job. It's the fact that he got used, he got chosen, and when he got chosen to do this service, it brought him closer to the Lord. It's preferential treatment. Oh, to just be close to the Lord. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we desire? To be in closer fellowship with Jesus Christ. And many times the duties of this Christian life, we find it drudgery instead of a blessing. And the Lord's like, I chose you, and I chose this route, I chose this service, and because of that, I'm giving you preferential treatment to draw closer to me at this time. Moses preaches about the privilege. He preaches about this preferential treatment. Can I show you here in verse number 9? Moses preaches about the very purpose of their service. And the Bible says to stand before the congregation to minister to them. But not only that, Bacor is just not happy with that. He wants the priesthood also in verse 10. And you know what? That belongs to Aaron. Christian, if you serve the Lord, no matter what small capacity you do, can I just remind you that you should be content with what God's chosen you for? Why is it as a Christian so many of us always desire what we don't think we have? Well, if I could be this, or if I could get that, or if I could get this pulpit, or if I could position myself here, well, then I'd be what? Happy? No, you wouldn't. But it was a privilege, it was preferential treatment and the purpose. Here was the purpose. The people of Israel needed someone to minister. The people need a minister. How about this, Christian? The people of God need someone willing to minister to them. And in someone being willing to minister to them, whether it's preaching, whether it's teaching, whether it's singing, whether it's serving, whether it's cleaning, whatever it is, it can draw you closer to Jesus Christ. And how about this? He chose you because He loves you. He wants you to do it. And quite frankly, the people need it. At the end of the day, you know what? You don't have to serve. Your salvation was by grace through faith plus nothing. I'm taking the weights off. We're going into the deep end of the pool and I'm taking the Chevy right off your back. You don't have to serve. But if you want to, Serve because you get to serve. You see that? You serve because you want to serve. Not because you have to. And if you don't, the preacher is going to preach on it. And if I don't give, then the preacher is going to preach that I'm not giving. Then don't give. You don't have.
have to give. But you get to give if you so want to. That's the biggest thing in the Christian life that Baptists can't get a hold of. God is not this bondage God. He's not a monkey on your back. And if you're going to do something, do it, number one, because He chose you, and number two, because you get to. And when you get to, and you do it because you want to and you love Him, then it will draw you closer to Him. And the people of God will benefit because God gave you the grace to see a spiritual need that nobody else could see at the moment. Well, the insurrection is revealed. Moses preaches a message. Korah wants the priesthood. And Moses preaches, but this planned insurrection has one message of rebellion. It's found in verse 12 and verse 14. In verse 12, at the end of verse 12, Dathan and Abiram, sons of I, which said, We will not come up. 14. Very end of verse 14. We will not come up. You know what this world wants you to do? I'll make a spiritual application, move on. The world wants you to come down. You know what they told Elijah? Come down. Come down. Oh, bald head, come down. <laughs> you know what the Lord wants you to do? He wants you to come up. You see that? You see the rebellion? You see the planned insurrection? Self-exaltation? Evil associations? False accusations? You know what it is? It is a refusal to come up. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bowed. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I won't come up. I won't do what God wants me. I won't stay in fellowship. He's doing it wrong. I don't like the way he preaches. Every time he opens his mouth, he spits. He's ugly. He's fat. He makes me mad. And the Lord's like, ignore that goofball. Just come up. We will not. Come up. That's the application in the text. The throes of rebellion makes you unwilling to move forward spiritually and come up. The message is, we will not come up. And when you rebel against the Lord, the saint of God is refusing to come up. Now let's move on. Notice after the planned insurrection, I want you to see real quickly, verse 15, real quick we'll move on. I want you to see some righteous indignation. Oh, Moses about ready to lose his gourd. He about had it, you know. I mean, there's only, uh, there's only so much some of you old guys can take, amen. And you sit there, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. You know, 16 yups and 15 okay, whatever's, you know, right? And finally, eventually, <laughs> And the Bible says Moses was very wroth. I wonder what that looked like. Steam must have been coming out of his ears, Amen. And that's the way I see it. Look at verse 15. And Moses was very wroth and said unto Facebook, I'm sorry, and Moses was... That's the original Greek, I think. And Moses was very wroth and, and said unto his family, Nope. And Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord. See, he was angry. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Be angry. And sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. It ain't wrong to get mad. You know what I think the Lord's kind of wishing some of y'all would do? He's waiting for some of y'all to get angry. 
Because when it comes to sin and things ought not to be tolerated, you're okay with it. No, he wants you to get mad. He wants you to get mad about this tomfoolery in town and all this tomfoolery in your, in your house. And how you don't love the Lord and how you don't treat the Lord with respect and you don't treat uh, uh, you know, the Lord's name with respect and you don't treat your bodies with respect. The Lord's, He's like, I'm, I'm just waiting for you to get angry about it. But He says, and sin not. You see that? And Moses, he's very wroth, but he tells only the Lord. Think about, I won't be able to sing the song, I'll never get through. But that old hymn, I must tell Jesus all my troubles. I cannot bear these burdens alone. And neither can you. And that's why you tell your family. That's why you tell Facebook. And that's why you tell all those fake friends that are quote-unquote following you. Because you won't tell your Heavenly Father. Moses is very wroth. He's about ready to blow a gasket. And you see in the passage, he, the only one he's talking to is the Lord God. That's the right one. Can I, can I encourage you this week? I know we're talking about rebellion and i got to watch my time here. But I can I encourage you? You're going to lose it this week. If not, you're a bad liar. You're going, you're going to lose it this week. And when you do, fight the urge to tell your friends. Fight the urge to tell your family and all your fake Facebook followers. Just tell your Heavenly Father. You know why? He's the only one that can take that information and do something with it. He's the only one. You tell Jesus Christ, He will never tell another soul. You ever tell somebody in confidence, no, I know you're my best friend, and we've been friends since we were in the womb and all that. And you're like, yeah, man. You, you just pray about that you know, juicy piece of information there and, and it meets you back before the week's over because your friend told on you. The Lord will never tell on you. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You're about ready to lose it this week. Go right to the Lord. Tell it to Him. Don't tell anybody else and watch the Lord do something you've never seen happen before. I just want to show you that. Isn't that great righteous indignation? He's about ready to lose it and he goes right to the Lord. And it's like, I, it doesn't say it, but you can see that because he goes right to the Lord, he's able to maintain his cool composure throughout the rest of this diabolical text. Let's move on. After the righteous indignation, I want you to see what's required. After the righteous indignation, I want you to see the godly separation in Numbers 16, 20, and 21. Moses is angry. He tells the Lord. And the Lord's like, all right. All right, here's the deal. This is what you got to do. He requires godly separation. 20 and 21. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation. Lord's about ready to light them up. He's about ready to smoke them, isn't he? That I may what? Consume them. He's not talking about putting them in some oil. He's talking about burning them up. Lord says, separate from this bunch. I'm going to toast them. And can I say this with all the love and grace I know how, but since I'm a preacher, it has to come at you that some of you Christians won't grow up. Some of you won't go farther with Jesus Christ and you won't come up to where God wants you to do because you're palling around with Korah. You're palling around with Dathan and Abiram. And you won't separate from people you need to separate from. It's stunting your Christian growth. That Bible says, and we've been going through 1 Thessalonians, we get in chapter 3, verse 6, we'll get that. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, you're supposed to separate from lazy Christians. 
I didn't write that book, but I sure do believe it. Not only that, but over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that Bible says, written by the Holy Spirit, authored through the fingertips of Paul, that you and I were supposed to separate from fornicating Christians, perverted Christians, railing Christians, idolatrous Christians, drunk Christians. Drunk Christians? Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. You're supposed to separate. You're supposed to withdraw yourself from... How about Romans chapter 16? Was it verse 17 and 18? You're supposed to withdraw yourself from Christians that have doctrinal div divisions with you. Not invite them into your house and see where we can agree. There are some Christians that you have got to separate from if you're going to keep growing with Jesus Christ and some of you won't do it. You say, who are you preaching to? Everybody in the room. And myself. If a guy believes in false doctrine, I can't be going to dinner with him. If he's got to hang up with doctrinal divisions, including salvation, I don't go have a sandwich with him. And see if I can talk him out of his devilment. I, I talked to him twice about it. That's Titus chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And the Bible says, A man that is an heretic, after the second admonition, reject. But you know why some of you won't come up? Some of you won't grow up? Some of you won't go farther with Jesus Christ? You're hanging on to Korah. You're palling around with Dathan. You're messing around with Abiram. And they're sitting there and they're nibbling on your ear. Yeah, I tell you what, that Moses, he's a real jack wagon. He don't know what he's talking about. And he's just up there because of himself. It's just a financial advantage that he's the leader of this two million mob in the wilderness. And they're just filling your ears with junk and you won't separate. God help us to separate. Notice next, after the godly separation, here's Moses, the meek man of God. We doing all right this morning? You say, what's in your stack? I don't know, but it's coming out, amen. <laughs> Verse 22, after the separation, notice what happens next. Moses gets on his face again and begins his supplication. Moses, the great interceder, God's ready to wipe out the entire nation again. This man, the more I read these, these books like Exodus and Numbers, he loves those people. You or I would be like, okay, all right, Lord, go get them. <laughs> well, I told you they were going to get it right there. And Moses is like on his face, like, don't kill the whole nation because one man sinned. And that what Abraham told the Lord, will thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? But here's old Moses, the great interceder, making supplication again. Look, when things go south this week, are you going to pray for someone's demise? Are you going to get on your face and say, God help them? God strengthen them? Please, Lord, be gentle with them. Now, you know some people that you don't care for. You won't say their names. I won't either. But you're like, and be with brother and sister so-and-so that they will get right with you. Shouldn't you be praying, Lord, be merciful to them? Lord, uh, will you help them find satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone? Would you help them recover them out of the snare of the devil? Help them, Father, give them acceptance to the knowledge of the truth? I mean, since you are a Bible believer and you've got it all down, that's meekness, that's supplication, that's praying that God would supply the need for somebody else. But we like to pray for ourselves, don't we? Lord, you know how much, it's like a Hezekiah prayer. Lord, you know how, much, how good I've been to you. And Lord, you know how I've given my entire life for you. And Lord, you know how long I've served you. And Lord, you know how I've been waiting for you. And please... Lord's like, all right, I gave you 18 more years to produce the most wicked king that ever was in uh, Judah's history. Manasseh. Mm. 
52 years, that, that wicked, wicked son reigned and did worse than anyone before him. Are you willing to supplicate like Moses? If not, you might be in the throes of rebellion. After the supplication, finally, this morning, and I'm done, I want you to see the devastation caused by this reckless rebellion, verse 31 to 35. And it came to pass, as he made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them. And the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up, and her houses, and all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them, went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. I'll show you, first of all, the earth opens up and swallows Korah, and all the men from the congregation that followed Korah. That's a devastation. Now that, you look at verse 35. Can I show you the end of the Christian celebrities? If you're looking at verse 35, while I'm standing here pretending like I know the passage, doesn't fire come down from the Lord and roast them? There goes Joel Osteen. There goes Rick Warren. There goes Joseph Prince. Stay with me now. There goes Joyce Myers. Hey, it says all the men, amen? That's funny right there. The earth opens up, swallows core in his company. If you can't laugh, your funny bone is busted. There comes a fire from the Lord and burns up 250 Christian celebrities. And once again, the man of God, Moses. I want you to think about this. The apex or the climax of this message is not the fact that Korah and all the men that followed him literally go down into hell alive and are still there today. Still there. Still burning. Still screaming. Still in torment. Still, like in Luke 16, desiring for someone to come dip the tip of their finger in water and cool their tongue for they're tormented in the flame. That's not the climax. That's not the apex. Because what is it in verse 45? Verse 49. The same day, the congregation gets to murmuring about what's going on, and the Lord, exacerbated, in desperate exasperation, kills 14,900 more. That's not it either. The climax is not that 250 Christian celebrities, which we made some jokes to kind of sweeten up the truth. It's people that think they're pretty important. Without God, you're toast. But let me tell you what, God will not tolerate rebellion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I believe it's verse 5 through 11, the Apostle Paul uses this very narrative, this very story, to give you and I a stern warning. You see why? Because the saints of God, they were disgusted, they were unthankful, they were dissatisfied with their food, they were dissatisfied with their leadership, they were dissatisfied with their way of life, they lacked the faith to take on the giants, and they refused to grow closer to the Lord. Here we are, what, 17 days from Thanksgiving. Let me ask you this question. Are you still thankful? Or have you exited the stage and somewhere in the throes of this reckless rebellion? Maybe made some accusations this week. 
Yeah, I'm not sure if those are true, preacher, but it sure felt good to say them. Yeah, I've been listening to so-and-so and I've been talking to so-and-so and I know they don't like certain people in our church here, but you know, they're, they're okay. They're okay. They're all right. Okay. You might just be in the throes of rebellion. Well, let me find a place to jump off here. As we close this morning, Miss Curran comes to the organ. Would you consider the devastation for a minute created by this reckless rebellion? Like I said, Paul uses this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 to 11, to give you and I a warning. The question I have today is, are you still thankful? Are you still thankful for what the Lord's done for you? Are you still thankful for the leadership that the Holy Spirit is giving you? Are you still thankful for what you have to live and, and exist by? Are you upset about it? Are you in the throes of rebellion, getting ready to tell the Lord a thing or two, getting ready to associate yourself with someone who's of a better caliber to make you look better so you get the attention you need? Are you thankful this morning as she plays, why not come talk to the Lord and get some things fixed up?